Chapter Three of the Falcon on the Baltic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Falcon on the Baltic by E. F. Knight. Chapter Three Across the North Sea. The harbor was crowded with fine yachts that had come in for the next day's Whit Monday regatta, so that dull and somewhat disagreeable place harwich was more lively and attractive than usual my next port was to be rotterdam but on tuesday a strong east-north-east wind was blown which put an attempt to cross the north sea quite out of the question so i determined to employ the time until a fair wind should spring up in again tackling that incorrigible leak wright told me that he knew of a good shore at mistley whereon to beach a vessel and that there we could ourselves examine the yacht at leisure and not be overmuch disturbed by the usual sage advice or if you don't give em a beer would be witty jeers of the longshore loafer we ran up the pretty river stour and put the yacht ashore at the top of high water the spot we selected was a short distance below mistley there were no houses very near but a steep green bank of trees ferns and bushes sloped almost to the water's edge as we did not propose to commence operations until the following day i set out to explore the neighborhood and i soon found that i had done right in leaving harwich a place with all the disadvantages and none of the advantages of a town for this pleasant countryside there is plenty of picturesque scenery about here as the artists have long since discovered and who could fail to be charmed by such jolly old-fashioned little towns as misley and its neighbor manningtree the author of our village would have loved to describe the life in these quiet places the two towns are joined by a road about a mile in length which follows the banks of the river at high water the stour presents the appearance of an extensive lake and at low water well the least said about it the better more than that on the broad muddy waste then disclosed may be gathered winkles which say the misley folk are well known to be the best flavoured in all england Misley and Manningtree were well-to-do places in the old times. Important markets were held here, and the fine old inns, the Thorn, for example, are relics of the days of posting. Formerly the river was crowded with shipping. Now only an occasional barge sends the winding stour, and even yachts are rarely seen in these deserted harbors. It is, of course, the old story again. The railway has taken away the trade. The busy markets are held no more and these towns are even as those dead cities of the Zuter Zee which I was soon to visit. Fine houses, tenantless and falling to ruins, are frequent in Manning Tree High Street, and the old shops seem far too big for the business now carried on in them. The inhabitants themselves are old-fashioned in their habits. The energy and bustle of modern commerce are unknown to them. They take life in an easy way, though it must be confessed that no less than three lawyers extract a living out of manningtree bricks and beer are the principal productions of manningtree and misley on the excellence of the beer i am qualified to give an opinion for i passed a portion of the evening in the snug parlour of the packet inn where some of the elders of the town were hobnobbing over their tankards and churchwardens and carrying on a pleasant gossip on sport and the prospects of the thistle the coming jubilee the manchester cup the cricket club and of course the local scandal 
which seemed in some way to mix up all the other topics of conversation and lend a piquant flavor to them i was awakened at a very early hour the following morning by tumbling out of my berth upon the floor i rubbed my eyes looked round and perceived the cause the ebb tide had left us high and dry and the yacht was lying on her side at a very steep angle so steep that it was impossible for any one not constructed after the fashion of a fly to remain on my bunk i looked towards right he was still sleeping soundly for his bunk was on the other and so lower side of the vessel as the means of sleeping comfortably had been taken away from myself i naturally felt much aggrieved that he should still be able to enjoy his slumbers and i was on the point of waking him with a now right it's low water let's have coffee and then to the leak when with an exclamation of consternation he started up from his bunk with as much suddenness as i had tumbled out of mine the reason was soon apparent the water in the vessel and there was plenty of it had of course settled on his side and was pouring over his blanket in a considerable stream through the seams of the panelling as both our beds were now impracticable one being perpendicular and the other a small pond we turned out and after that matutinal cup of coffee which every one who goes to sea indulges in we proceeded to wade through the mud round our vessel with bare feet and inspect minutely every seam and nail hole in search of the invisible leak we discovered several places in her skin through which we thought that the water might possibly find admittance and these we stopped with white cotton and putty using penknives for caulking tools we worked hard at low water for two days under a steady downpour of cold rain the natives discovered our whereabouts and several barge skippers and others stood round and criticized our work but none of them could suggest any better measures than those we were taking on saturday the fourth of june we had completed our work so at high water we took the falcon out into the mid-river and anchored there at noon we pumped her quite dry then we went on shore and at three returned on board in fear and trembling to discover what had been the result of our labors i went into the cabin pulled up one of the floorboards and looked into the hold well does she make any water now sir inquired wright anxiously from the deck water if anything she's making it faster than ever so we had failed utterly in our attack on the mysterious leak we were very disgusted and saw that we should have to trouble our heads no more about it but sail away leak and all i knew that though very uncomfortable it was not dangerous i had set my mind on a cruise in the baltic and it would have required a more serious obstacle than this to prevent me carrying out my design wright was of the same opinion and as obstinate as myself but the barge skippers shook their heads when they heard where we were bound for don't you go jack said an old friend of my man's you'll never cross the north sea in that little craft and now after a spell of dirty weather the glass began to rise on turning out on the morning of the sixth of june we saw that a moderate wind was blowing from the southwest the very breeze to carry us to rotterdam right i cried i'll go on shore and find what the weather forecast in the papers is if it's a good one we'll sail down to harwich this afternoon and cross the north sea tonight the papers informed us that moderate southwest winds might be expected in the north sea but that the south cone was hoisted in ireland which means that we must get across to rotterdam before the bad weather comes over here i said it looks like a slant at last 
perhaps her luck has changed remarked wright looking round at the sky with a hopeful expression we completed our provisioning by filling two large stone bottles with the excellent beer at manningtree and then ran down the stour to harwich before a spanking southerly breeze in about an hour we passed the pier at two p m and having tacked out of the harbour we were soon tumbling about in the very choppy and uncomfortable sea which is so frequently met with off harwich the approaches to this port are known as the pitching ground the rolling ground and the rough channel all three doing their very best to deserve their appellation to which fact many a pale excursionist can testify when we were yet some distance from the cork lightship a change came over the weather the sky became overcast and wild in appearance the wind freshened and we seemed to be in for a strong blow we liked the look of things so little that at last after some hesitation we determined to return to harwich for shelter it always goes much against the grain to have to run back to a port one has just sailed from and this was the only occasion on which we had to perform this manoeuvre during our cruise having let go the anchor i sailed on shore into the dinghy and landed at harwich pier here ancient mariners who had been watching the yacht informed us that we had acted rightly in running home again for very bad weather was coming said the coxswain of the lifeboat to me a young chap belonging here who is on board a barge bound up wired to-day from shields barge detained by heavy gales so you know what to expect but my glass was not falling and in spite of the prognostications of the ancient mariners landsmen placed too much reliance in them i decided to see what the night should bring forth and if things looked no worse to sail on the morrow then i remembered having been told by someone that the meteorological office would if applied to telegraph a weather forecast for the sum of one shilling i had never availed myself of this very useful arrangement before so bethought myself to test it now i telegraphed what weather harwich to rotterdam to-morrow on calling at the telegraph station in an hour's time the following reply was handed to me light southwest breezes fine sea nearly smooth then i went on board rejoicing for i knew though many an old sailor would ridicule the idea that the official opinion of the clerk of the weather is more to be relied on than the wisdom of all the ancient mariners in england put together so full of faith and knowing that we should now after our many delays get away at last we dined off our beefsteak and onions in a happy frame of mind and fixed five o'clock the next morning as the time of our departure we got under way at the appointed hour on the seventh of june and so far the predictions of the weather prophet seemed to be entirely correct it was a lovely morning a moderate southwest wind was blowing and the sky was almost cloudless when we had beaten out of the harbour we were able to set our tan square sail and ran at a fine rate towards the cork running is the falcon strong point we passed the south shiphead buoy marking the edge of that dangerous shoal laying eight miles off the land on which so many a vessel has been lost at eight o'clock and from this i took my departure steering an east by south course the distance from the entrance of harwich harbour to the west gate is rather over a hundred miles so there was some chance of making a port by nightfall the wind gradually freshened as the day advanced and i observed that the aneroid in the cabin was steadily falling at midday i brought up my sextant to shoot the sun and found that we were exactly on our course 
the wind still freshened and we were rushing through the water faster than ever i don't like the sky now said wright it looks very wild it will blow tonight yes we must carry on as much as we can and try to get hold of the land before dark it's a pity we didn't sail last night after all we should have been in rotterdam by now remarked wright i had been saying the same thing to myself but as we were in the middle of the north sea by this time it was clear that we must run on there could be no turning back now a steep high sea was following us but the boat behaved splendidly it must indeed be a rough sea before which these sharp-ended lifeboats cannot run with safety they do not easily broach to the weather prophet is hardly accurate this time i should hardly call this water almost smooth i said as we were looking at a small steamer steering west and frantically pitching into the sea as she sent showers of water over her bows nor i sir just look at this roller coming at us now what a whopper over she goes well done little boat by george she does behave well in a seaway still the wind freshened and the sea rose till at six o'clock we had quite as much of both as we required it was about this time that we came upon a fleet of dutch fishermen great tubby craft with leeboards which were rolling in a comfortable lazy way that gave one the impression of their being quite safe and very much at home in this sort of water we passed close to some of these boats and hailed the men asking them how far off the land we were i don't know whether they understood us but they shrieked back replies which we certainly could not understand so we ran on eastward hoping soon to see some signs of the coast it now began to blow so hard that we were compelled to take two reefs in our mainsail we had taken in our square sail some time since to make matters worse it became very thick a heavy rain was falling and there could be no doubt that we were in for a dirty night at eight we found ourselves in the midst of steep and dangerous-looking rollers so we surmised that we were approaching the banks and were in shallow water our lead proved this to be the case there are few worse coasts than those of holland the shores are so low and destitute of landmarks and have such perilous sands extending far seawards that the mariner who approaches them in thick weather often has a very anxious time of it we saw that it would be exceedingly difficult for us to make a landfall and distinguish the lights on such a night so not daring to run in further toward the outlying shoals we decided to lie too till morning with two reefed mainsail and foresail to windward the little boat behaved wonderfully well great seas with breaking crests thundered down upon her one after the other often seeming as if they must inevitably overwhelm us but the falcon rose to them all without fuss with an easy motion as of a boat conscious of her seaworthiness after we had watched her behavior for a while she imparted her confidence to us we felt that it would need a much worse sea than any we were likely to encounter this night to endanger her besides i still had sufficient faith in the clerk of the weather to believe that nothing very serious in the way of bad weather was coming i must not forget to give due praise to the little dinghy who behaved very well and though much more fussy than the falcon she never lost her head but there was some danger for us from big steamers on so obscure a night so we lit our side lights and kept two-hour watches in turns no water came over the vessel but plenty came through her she leaked terribly and we were pumping the whole while our arms ached for a week after this experience the night was anything but a pleasant one it rained it blew it was cold and our position was rather an insecure one 
as i kept my watch and dripping oilies pumping hard with one hand holding on with the other and peering through the obscurity on the lookout for those murderous nuisances the screw steamers i became meditative i called to mind a luxurious friend of mine who had once only once slept out with me in an open boat on the medway one chilly spring night i was sleeping soundly on the bottom boards when a melancholy voice calling out my name awakened me i opened my eyes and beheld standing before me in the boat a spectral form shrouded with the white mist of the river it was my friend who unable to sleep had risen from his couch among the ballast well what is it i asked my good friend he said sadly do you call this pleasure the wretch had awakened me from my happy slumbers to put me this question and now i ask myself is this pleasure my conscience replied in the decided negative then what the dickens am i here for and i called to mind many wise saws of the sea such as a sailor's life is a dog's life who'd sell a farm and go to sea what the dickens am i here for i asked myself again seeing that i might be safe and comfortable at home then glancing round to see that no steamer was near i dived below had a tot of rum lit a pipe and returned on deck to my duties feeling more comfortable i now found a satisfactory reply to my question this is not exactly pleasure i told myself but such a night is an exception in a long cruise bad weather now and then makes the pleasant days all the more enjoyable besides yachting would be no more exciting than a voyage on a thames penny steamer if the weather were always fine and now for that confounded pump again so passed the uncomfortable night about an hour before dawn i turned into my bunk and fell asleep shortly afterwards wright put his head into the cabin i can see a light sir he said i thought it was a steamer's masthead light at first but it isn't it's a flashlight on the shore i tumbled on deck and there surely enough to the eastward flashed out at regular intervals a white light scarcely visible for it was evidently a long way off i timed the rate of its appearance three quick flashes every half minute then went below consulted the chart and found that this was the show and lightship we had therefore drifted considerably to the southward of our course during the night and were much further from the land than i had thought this lightship is moored on the outlying shoals of the island of Schoen, and is more than twenty miles from the mouth of the maas as we now knew our position we let the foresheet draw and ran before the heavy seas toward the light my intention had been to enter the maas by the hook of holland canal but as we were so far to the southward of this and as i wished to get into smoother water as quickly as possible i decided to steer for the slyke got to the north of gary island and make the harbour of elevotslice once we could reach the maas by way of the vorn canal before reaching the lightship we sailed across the narrow Schoen bank where the water shoals suddenly from fourteen to four fathoms on this we encountered a very troublesome sea and we were much relieved when we got out of it into deeper water again from the lightship our course to gary island was fifteen miles east by south the day broke cheerlessly the wind had moderated somewhat but the sea seemed as high as ever the sky was full of dark clouds that were travelling at a great speed and it was still so thick that we could not expect to discover the low coast of holland until we were close upon it we ran on but perceived no buoys nor any sign of the land and as i did not know how the tide was setting across the banks i was soon again rather uncertain as to our whereabouts 
far out to sea from gary island stretches the dangerous ostrazan on which there is only a half fathom of water in places so we felt our way carefully with the lead at last the water shoaled to two fathoms and still there were no landmarks visible at this juncture it began to rain hard so we could only see a few yards around us it was now six o'clock as the water was still shoaling i bore away to see a little not liking to rush blindly over these dangerous banks in such weather suddenly there loomed out of the haze close to us a fine-looking dutch sloop with polished oak sides and leeboards she was hove to under a reefed mainsail and the pilot flag was flying at her masthead across her sail was inscribed in large black characters gary now it is against my principles to employ a pilot on a small yacht a vessel drawing so little as three feet ought to find her own way everywhere but on this occasion i broke my rule hove to and for the first and only time during the cruise hoisted my jack after all there was some excuse for taking a pilot under the circumstances we had been tumbling about for twenty-four hours and were tired the weather was bad we were among dangerous shoals and it was too thick to see the landmarks but still i felt somewhat ashamed of myself as our signal went up the dutchmen lowered their strong oak dinghy and contrived to get a pilot on board of us very cleverly he threw into the cabin that oilskin bundle which invariably represents a pilot's luggage shook hands with me and inquired where i wanted to go Slice, i replied right captain i will take you there and i shan't be long about it with this wind this man was a tremendous swell resplendent in gold lace and brass buttons and like all dutch pilots he spoke english of a sort fluently he took the helm and steered the same course we had been following ourselves capital boat to run before a sea like this captain he said after a few minutes but look there is gary as he spoke the rain had ceased the sky cleared a bit and there before us about a mile away to leeward suddenly appeared a low pale green shore with several hurrying windmills in the background had the pilot appeared on the scene but five minutes later than he did we should have known our position and dispensed with his assistance we coasted by gary in smooth water and now that we had escaped the dangers of the north sea the weather began to improve the storm clouds disappeared and a bright sunshine lit up the fresh-looking green land we shook out our reefs and made good way against a strong tide i need hardly say that we had to take an occasional jog at the pump and our pilot observing this made some rather sarcastic observations on our leaky condition presently we could distinguish the opposite coast of the island of vorn low also its vegetation dazzling with the vivid colors of a humid climate in rainy weather all this bright coloring is drowned in vapor and on the country assumes a most melancholy and sombre aspect but a glimpse of sunshine will produce so sudden and marvellous a transformation on a dutch landscape as is not to be witnessed even in our own moderately damp england across the dikes of horn we perceived an enormous congregation of windmills what do you have all these windmills for asked wright to pump de water off de land replied our pilot if those was not always turning round us hollanders would soon all be drowned well pilot i said you were very severe just now about our boat leaking but you must confess that your country leaks harder still your windmills are always pumping just as they do on an old norwegian timber vessel he chuckled softly and replied merely i think captain i will take one little drop more of that rum 
the channel between the islands up which we were sailing now presented the appearance of a broad river as a matter of fact it is a river but what particular river i was quite unable to say off-hand when wright put the question to me even after a study of the chart i was still undecided for the rhine the maas the schelde and other rivers of the netherlands got so inextricably mixed up among the labyrinths of channels and canals of zealand that the mariner is justly entitled to take his choice i therefore decided that i should like to be on the maas and inform wright that that was the name of the broad stream we were ascending the pilot did not contradict me i suppose the dutch themselves are far too wise a people to madden themselves with the disentanglement of their puzzling rivers ah sirs he exclaimed what a pretty country what a pretty river almost as muddy as the thames though remarked wright looking down at the brown water dot is not the fault of the dutch people cried the patriotic pilot indignantly dutch people hate dirt this river comes from germany after much rain the water is filthy like this germany then sends us all her dirt i thought of the first napoleon's impotent apology for seizing holland that it was a country formed artificially on the alluvia of french rivers and therefore belonged rightfully to france but i kept this thought to myself our dutchmen might not have liked it after sailing for about two hours under the pilot's charge he brought us alongside the quay of hellevoetsluis and for the first time in my life i set foot in holland hellevoetsluis was once an important fortress and seaport british tourists of two generations ago knew it well for the harwich packet used to call here but now there is not much life in the little place and the arrival of a yacht from england seemed to be a sufficiently novel occurrence to attract much attention to us i jumped on shore and a polite crowd guided me to the harbour master's office where i showed my papers and paid the pilot his fee twelve shillings then i returned to the yacht and found a great many people of all ranks ages and sexes gazing at us from the quay and discussing us in the curiously deliberate and unexcitable dutch fashion one who spoke english explained to me the sentiments of his fellows these holland people he said think your boat too little to cross the north sea they not like to be passengers of you not at all by jove i looked round hellevoetsluis which is like every other place in holland and i was struck by exactly the same things that first attract the attention of every stranger who lands in this country and i no doubt made exactly the same remarks as every tourist does i noticed that the crowd looked very much like an english crowd i observed the clean streets and tidy little houses the marvellous lock gates of the canals of bright oak varnish and polish with loving care as if they had been valuable old chippendale sideboards at least so different from the dirty tarred locks at home then i admired the schultz and other craft all of varnished oak to match the locks with little windows having muslin curtains and flowers and pots each with a clean family of many generations living on board reminding one altogether more of life on a thames houseboat than on a trading barge then i went into a cafe and approved of a glass of beer but there was nothing very new in all this and it has been described over and over again the wind was still fresh and blew straight up the vorn canal so i thought it best not to waste such an opportunity but to sail for rotterdam at once the following day might bring a headwind and besides hellevoetsluis was not so particularly interesting a place as to make us loth to leave it 
so i went again to the harbour master's office showed my register and paid the canal dues which as the falcon is only three tons amounted to tuppence or some such small sum we passed through the lock gates and setting all sail we ran before the wind up the perfectly straight canal it was our first experience of a dutch canal and so we were excited and interested by the many novel sights but i found that one soon wearies of the frightful monotony of the dutch waterways and after a few days i began to wonder how some yachtsmen waxed so enthusiastic over holland however i thoroughly enjoyed the seven miles run up the vorn canal the smooth water the sunny sky and green pastures were very pleasant after the dark and stormy north sea the quaint and cumbrous looking though handy native craft attracted much of our attention at first we marvelled at their great apparent speed but we soon found that there was more brag than real haste about them and that we were being taken in by noise for their bluff bows ploughed through the water with all the fuss and fury of a puffing billy the crews of these vessels looked at us with evident surprise as we passed the skippers invariably asked where we were from when we replied from london they as invariably made the same remark it was an exclamation expressive of astonishment i imagine from the sound of it that it was somewhat profane so will not repeat it i had heard that on a dutch canal one can always run full tilt at a bridge and that the ever watchful guardian will never fail to open it in time to let a vessel through i felt rather nervous on trying this experiment at our first bridge as we approached it right blew the foghorn lustily and i ran on in faith the man in charge of the bridge was sitting in his armchair at the door of his neat little cottage with his back turned to us smoking with true dutch phlegm a portentous pipe he made no response to our signal he did not even turn his head he smoked on apparently quite unconscious of our approach a horrible thought perhaps he was deaf with great din of shouting and horn-blowing we rushed on before the strong wind a smash seemed inevitable when almost at the last moment this stolid fellow turned round to us stretched his arms above his head and yawned then he laid down his precious pipe carefully by his side and rising quite leisurely proceeded to swing the bridge and we passed through safely these bridge guardians on dutch canals evidently take a pride in running very close shaves it seems however that accidents very seldom occur but these lifting and swinging bridges are beautifully constructed and are set in motion with a wonderful ease and quickness we passed through the sluice at the end of the canal and were again on a broad tidal water what river is this asked wright now i knew this channel was undoubtedly one of the branches of the maas but having already told wright that the stream we had left was called the maas and not wishing to perplex myself or him with the complicated dutch river puzzle i diplomatically bethought myself to give the french equivalent for the dutch name this is the river meuse i replied but wright's ear could not recognize the difference between my french and dutch accent i thought the other river was called that he said i happened to be looking at the chart at the time and there saw a capital way of getting out of my difficulty yes but this is called the new maas happily he asked for no further information we ascended the river against a strong ebb tide for fifteen miles we passed the port of Scheidam and saw the towers of that famous gin-making town about a mile inland shortly afterwards we perceived the city of rotterdam before us looking imposing with its lofty buildings and vast quays 
the river was crowded with every sort of craft ranging from stately east indiamen to tiny fishing boats we took in some of our canvas and sailed slowly on looking round us for a suitable berth after passing the public park we opened out a small harbour in which was tightly packed a great number of schultz and other small coasters this seemed to be the very place for us so lowering our sails we allowed the yacht to shoot in and made fast to a smart river trader laden with round cheeses which lay alongside the quay on inquiry we found that this harbour was called the Vierhaven. there are many such in water intersected rotterdam but judging from what i saw i should recommend this one to all small yachts it is quieter than most of the havens and though vessels moving in and out frequently compelled us to let go our warps and shift our berths so as to allow them room to pass there was none of that fuss shouting and ill-temper which would accompany such manoeuvres in a french harbour for instance considering how crowded these dutch waterways are it is really astonishing how little a yachtsman cruising on them need fear damage to his vessel the dutchmen keep their own craft in such beautiful order that they treat all others with consideration though any of these strong oak shoots could crush a slight yacht without herself feeling it the dutch sailor never fails to put out his fenders when there is a chance of the slightest contact even when he is forced to shove off in haste in order to avoid an accident he is careful to thrust his boat hook against your rigging or ironwork he is as kind to your paint and varnish as you would be yourself these hollanders are at home on the water if any people in the world are and rough as they may be they treat the boats of their neighbours with all the delicate caution of a china maniac handling some invaluable old sevres vase these canals would be intolerable to the yachtsmen were it not for the skill and care of these honest mariners and they will get out of one's way so good-humouredly too one will hear no oaths perceive no excitement among them even in moments of serious risk it was two o'clock in the afternoon when we reached rotterdam so we had been under way for thirty-three hours we not unnaturally felt somewhat tired and instead of at once going on shore to explore the town i turned into my bunk and slept till six when i was awakened by the arrival of the harbour-master this functionary very polite and clad in gorgeous uniform examined my papers saw that all was right and informed me that i was at liberty to do what i pleased so i sallied forth refreshed by my rest to do rotterdam End of chapter three across the north sea